Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today on this Friday. We have survived yet another week in Biden's America. Barely, but we've done it, so congratulations. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please check me out on social media, my Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and my Twitter and true social accounts are both at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what's on your mind. I see them all. I read them all. And we will get to yours at the end of the show. So you want to tune in every day because I might read yours on that day. So again, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right, on this Friday, I want to deal with illegal immigration and the Democrats' hierarchy on this issue. Not their hypocrisy, their hierarchy. We often say on this show, and, and a lot of people say it now, it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. It's about the ruling class and their total control and their contempt for all of us. They don't care about hypocrisy. You can call them hypocritical all day long. They do not care. What is in operation in America is hierarchy. And we're going to break that down with regard to illegal immigration. That's coming up. I also want to deal with the Biden recession here and why to them your economic pain is a means to their end. We'll also talk to the great Charlie Hurt of the Washington Times about Joe Biden, the midterms, looking ahead to 2024. Charlie is the absolute best. He's been a friend for a long time, and he will join us. Plus, as I said, your emails, so keep them coming. We got all that and more straight ahead. First up, though, the Monica Memo. Today seems like a good time to recall that President Trump gave us a thriving economy. And post-pandemic, the fastest economic recovery on record from any crisis. 
Given that we're now in the Biden recession, it really seems like a good moment to take apart what's really happening here. You are witnessing the deliberate destruction of the U.S. economy. This is the intentional takedown of the free market system. Oh, Monica, come on. No, this is exactly what is going on. We are in the middle of a neo-Marxist revolution. That is exactly what's happening. It's been a rolling revolution, so it's been going on for quite a while. Many decades, actually, they've been chipping away at the capitalist system. But then when Barack Obama came into office and was there for eight years, they made tremendous progress in realigning our system away from economic freedom and toward a collectivist Marxist kind of model. It was supposed to continue. Remember, Trump was not supposed to get elected. Hillary Clinton was supposed to be elected. She was supposed to serve eight years, but she was so bad that she blew it and they didn't have their act together to steal it at the time, but she was supposed to be elected and serve eight years in order to lock it all in. But Trump surprised everybody and he got in and they freaked out. This is why they were trying to destroy him during the 16 campaign, why they tried to destroy him while he was in office, while they continued to try to destroy him because he exposed them. Yes, he exposed all of their corruption and the rot and everything else, but He exposed the Great Reset. He exposed their grand project here at home. So he is an existential threat to the bigger project here, this neo-Marxist revolution. So he threw a big monkey wrench. He put it all on hold. He interrupted them for four years. So of course they've got to take him out. But now that Biden is in here, I had somebody, I did a radio show recently, and and the host said, you know, Biden is trying things that Barack Obama never would have tried. Well, Barack Obama did try a lot, but Obama and that team felt like they had 16 years between Obama and Hillary. They really believed they had 16 years to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. So they got eight, and then whoops, here comes Trump. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so now they lost four years, and that's why everything is going at breakneck speed, because they've got to make up for lost time. That's what's really happening here. And a lot of people say, well, you know, all of this is going on, but nobody takes it to the next step, which is what we do on this podcast every day. We take it to the next step, the logical end of all of this, which is you ask the question, to what end? To what end are they doing this? And it is the, in Obama's words, because he told us back in 2007 what this is all about, the, quote, fundamental transformation of the nation. Again, to what end? To a neo-communist model, where they sit atop of all of us in their hierarchy, and we are slaves to the system. This is a bourgeois proletariat thing that's happening Right now in the 21st century, oh, Monica, communism is dead. Collapse of the Soviet Union, it's over. Nobody believes in Marxism. Nonsense. Communism never dies. It just gets rebranded. Let me repeat that. Like Joe Biden, repeat the line. Communism never dies. It just gets rebranded. So when we talk about this Biden recession, here we are. Now, 
let's take a step back because just a couple of short years ago, we were enjoying a thriving economy thanks to President Trump. Again, that was not supposed to happen. You are not supposed to enjoy a booming economy. Life is good. They don't want life good for you. Remember, communism is an equal share of poverty and misery. That's what they want for you while they live it up. They want you eating bugs while they're dining on the finest caviar and steak. Literally, this is what communism is. So just a couple of short years ago, let's just refresh everybody's memory. The Trump economy was booming, and it didn't just materialize out of thin air. He put into place pro-growth economic policies, tax cuts, regulatory relief, fair trade deals, which, by the way, he gets like no credit for. He gets no credit for anything, but he gets no credit for this. That negotiating those trade deals, do you know how hard that is? You can't get two people on the street to agree on anything. And Trump got China to agree. He got Canada and Mexico to agree. He was negotiating with the UK. He got fair trade deals from Japan and South Korea. Do you know how hard that is? Again, no credit. But those fair trade deals were geared for America's businesses, industries, farmers, fishermen, truckers, you and me. He negotiated that. And of course, he unleashed our great energy sector. So we became, for the first time in history, energy independent. We became a net energy exporter. So of course, when he left office, gas was a buck eighty. Never forget what Trump gave us. Three years of an economic boom, significant economic growth, unemployment rates at or near historic lows, blacks, Latinos, women, Asian Americans, veterans, Americans with disabilities. Every demographic group in America had unemployment rates at or near historic lows. The rising tide lifted all boats, truly, truly. The left likes to mock that? No, it was the truth under President Trump. Get this, the poverty rate for blacks in America hit a record low under Donald Trump. Repeat the line, the poverty rate for blacks in America hit a record low under President Trump. Another major point, we began to close the wage and wealth gaps You know how Democrats always talk about wanting to do that, reduce income inequality and all of that? Well, in four short years, Trump actually did it. He reduced the wage and wealth gaps. How? Because the rising tide was lifting all boats, yes, the people at the top did see an increase in their prosperity and their wealth and their income, but the people at the bottom end of the income scale, the lowest earners, They saw further and faster and more significant wage gains than those at the top. So that income gap and the wealth gap actually started to narrow under President Trump. That is astonishing. He gets no credit for that either. The Trump economy was truly inclusive. Everybody benefited and it was booming. And then, of course, the pandemic hit in March of 2020, And we stood up all of these unprecedented programs in order to get the American people, small businesses, and industries through the most acute period of the crisis. 
Remember, that crisis was unprecedented. Nobody had ever been through anything like that before. It wasn't like Trump or Mnuchin could pick up the phone and call a predecessor and say, hey, what did y'all do during the last pandemic? Any tips? No, it didn't exist. Everybody was flying without a net. So was the response perfect? No, no government solution ever is. But what we managed to do helped a lot of people and small businesses and industries like the airline to get through it. And then we all forget, we began opening up again in May of 2020. It's been that long. Of course, the blue states refused and they lag way behind the red states to this day in unemployment and growth, way behind. But we were opening up back then. So when President Trump handed Joe Biden the economy in January of 21, he gave him the fastest economic recovery from any crisis on record. And Biden promptly drove it into the ground on purpose. Never forget, we are dealing with neo-communists here. And like good neo-communists, they've tried lying and manipulating the language in order to gaslight you. Remember, over the last two weeks, they've been trying to redefine recession. It's all Orwellian bullshit. Yesterday, when we got the official word of the recession, here was Biden saying, hey, we're not in a recession. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. Thank you very much. Hey, President Biden walking out of the state dining room there after uh, refusing to accept that the country has slipped into recession. And he wasn't the only one. Here's Treasury Secretary Janet from another planet, Yellen, saying the same thing. Most economists and most Americans have a similar definition of recession. Substantial job losses and mass layoffs. Businesses shutting down. Private sector activities slowing considerably. Family budgets under immense strain. In some a broad-based weakening of our economy. That is not what we're seeing right now. When you look at the economy, job creation is continuing. Household finances remain strong. Consumers are spending and businesses are growing. The Orwellian language manipulation never ends. They're trying to say, well, it's transitory, but it's also never going to end anytime soon. Huh? They think you're stupid. They hate you and they think you're dumb. Of course, all of this is going to have huge fallout for you, but they don't care about you. Two-thirds of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. Real average hourly earnings fell 3.6% over the last year, marking the 15th month in a row under Biden in which inflation has outpaced wages. Inflation has now cost the average American household over $5,500 so far. It's just unbelievable. And now, now, if you think things are bad now, hold your horses. The Congress, led by the Democrats, of course, but with useful idiot help from the Republicans, they're about to pass maybe uh, two big bills. One is this CHIPS bill, which is a corporate welfare bill for the semiconductor industry. This corporate welfare chip bill transfers billions of dollars from the pockets of us, regular Americans, 
to giant corporations like Intel, Micron Tech, and so on, all in Silicon Valley. They are very wealthy companies. This industry is awash in cash. They're not struggling. These are not family farms, okay? This is Silicon Valley. And yet this bill is going to transfer billions of dollars from us to these giant corporations with no lock on the money to keep it here at home and not transfer it back to China. In other words, there were some Republicans in the Senate who said, yes, it's important for us to make semiconductor chips here at home. We have learned our lesson from the supply chain crisis. Okay, that's that all sounds good, right? But this, first of all, the industry does not need our subsidy. That's number one. So we're pumping money into an industry that doesn't need it. Number two, there is no backstop in this bill to make these companies manufacture here in the U.S., which is the whole point of the bill. The Democrats stripped it out. So these companies can get the billions of dollars from you and me and then take that money and say, oh, thanks a lot. This is swell. We're going to continue to manufacture in China, supporting the Chinese economy, but not ours. You can't make this up. And then there was an anti-China security provision in there put in there by Senator Rob Portman to make sure that the Chinese could not steal our technology as they've been doing for decades. But on this particular issue, to make sure that China could not steal our advanced technology and our knowledge. He put it in there, and you know what? Chuck Schumer stripped it out. So now, not only is there no backstop where they they are forced to manufacture here, but now there's no backstop to prevent China from continuing to steal all of our technology and knowledge. This this bill in particular, this is further proof that our country is now of, by, and for the rich and powerful. Again, the hierarchy, which we're going to talk about here with regard to illegal immigration in a minute. But I want to finish this thought. This is now, we're now in an oligarchy. Okay? This is controlled by the rich and powerful, the ruling class, the elites. In Marx's uh, words and Lenin's words, the vanguard. Meanwhile, on this bill and throughout all of this process on the bigger Build Back Better bill, Joe Manchin, and and I want to say right now, never trust a Democrat. I don't care who they are, Joe Manchin or whatever, never trust a Democrat. Everyone turned to Joe Manchin with hope because he's a Democrat from a very conservative state, West Virginia. But remember, Manchin is a liberal who happens to represent a conservative state. So he always has to look moderate for the voters back home, but he's not. So he always plays this coy game, will he or won't he? And he loves the media attention. They all chase him down, will he or won't he? He loves being the center of attention. He always plays this game, but he always goes down the road of what the radical left, the the Democrat communists want, because he's full of it. And on on this issue, actually on the two issues, on the chips bill and this bigger Build Back Better bill, all Manchin did was do his usual routine of playing rope-a-dope with the Republicans. He suckered us into voting for it, right? He suckered the, the Republicans in the Senate to go down the road of this chips bill, this corporate welfare bill, because they all thought he had killed Build Back Better, the other big spending bill. But he hadn't. 
That was a lie. He scammed them and they fell for it. And now we're getting both bills, the worst of all possible worlds, about a trillion dollars total in new spending and higher taxes in the context of the Biden recession with sky-high inflation. In other words, Biden stagflation. So if you think inflation is bad now, just wait. If you think the economy sucks now, just wait. On the upside, I'm always looking for a silver lining here on this show because we're happy warriors. On the upside, Republicans will pick up his Senate seat in 2024 when he's up again because West Virginia voters are not going to put up with this. No way. All right, when we come back, I want to deal more with the vanguard, the ruling class of communists, and their hypocrisy on illegal immigration. This is a good one. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, guys, welcome back on this Friday. So this is a bit rich. I've never been into this idea that we live in the matrix. Have you heard about this? A lot of people say we're living in a matrix and people, more and more people are getting red-pilled. I, I didn't really get the matrix. I've seen it twice. I'm like, huh? I'm not really into that kind of thing. My brain doesn't really work that way, but I know the matrix is a classic. And people often talk about we're living in a simulation, I never really bought that, but if we are in one, the simulation designer has a great sense of humor. The Los Angeles Times reported this week, quote, Californians and other Americans are flooding Mexico City. Some locals want them to go home. The author of the article, Kate Lithicum, promoted the article with a tweet that said, quote, Mexico City is being flooded by Americans, including legions of remote workers drawn by cheaper rents. They're transforming classic neighborhoods, the housing market, and even racial dynamics. More and more locals are asking them to please go home. <laughs> well, 
Imagine that. I wonder how it feels to have immigrants flood into your country and transform neighborhoods and draw and drain on resources and change the racial dynamics. I wonder what that's like. It's remarkable that the LA Times published this without an editor seeing the irony. (laughs) Or maybe they didn't and didn't care. The article notes how Mexicans are growing increasingly frustrated going out to restaurants and hearing people speak English. Again, a foreign feeling to every single American, right? We've never had to deal with immigrants not speaking the nation's language. More from the LA Times, quote, Fernando Bustos Gorospe was sitting with friends in a cafe here when he realized that once again, they were outnumbered. Quote, we're the only brown people, said Bustos, a 38-year-old writer and university professor. We're the only people speaking Spanish except the waiters. Bustos, of course, wasn't called a racist for that. But if you try that here at home, guess what? You're a raging racist. If the LA Times had profiled, let's say, a Miami resident with the same complaint about the ubiquitous Spanish speaking in Miami, the story would be all about how that resident was a raging racist. It seems to be a trend this week. I've noticed a couple of of these stories, right? Liberals are all of a sudden freaking out, suddenly tough on illegal immigration. Washington, D.C.'s Mayor Muriel Bowser, get this, and this is the most delicious story of the week. She requested that the Department of Defense activate the National Guard to deal with all these pesky illegals who are arriving to D.C. by bus uh, from primarily Arizona and uh, Texas, because the AIDS groups there are saying, and the the people who run the homeless shelters, they're all saying, hey, we don't have enough resources available to take care of all these people. Well, die. Bowser said 4,000 illegals have arrived so far in a, quote, humanitarian crisis that has reached, quote, a tipping point. So Mayor Bowser wouldn't call out the National Guard for January 6th, when she was warned about the crowds and the possibility for some chaos and violence, and President Trump had requested that, she turned it down. She wouldn't do it. But for thousands of illegal immigrants flooding her city, that she'll call out the National Guard for. It goes without saying that deploying the National Guard to deal with illegal immigration was a rotten, terrible, no-good idea just a few years ago when Trump wanted to do it. Meanwhile, another Northeast mayor joining Mayor Bowser, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he has been going off on how illegal immigrants are a drain on the resources for the city meant for New Yorkers. Quote, this is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. We already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they are undocumented. Our schools are going to be impacted. Our healthcare system is going to be in, impacted. Our infrastructure is going to be impacted. Well, Adoy. So you're telling me that a nonstop flood of illegals from the third world with access to American taxpayer resources is unsustainable? No, you don't say. Come on. You know, if big, wealthy New York City and Washington, D.C. can't handle this, imagine a small working-class town on the border. 
This is what they've been screaming about for decades, and certainly now under Biden. Come on. This is all clearly nuts. The left has no self-awareness, and frankly, they don't care. They have their eyes on a much bigger prize, which is the fundamental transformation of the nation. So when they say things like this, Bowser and, and Adams, it's all just reactive. They call you a racist, and that's that. That's the totality of their argument because they don't have to make any further argument. They really don't. Nobody calls them a two account. The press isn't all over them the way they would be you or me if we made these arguments. Oh, you're a raging racist. But Mayor Adams and Mayor Bowser, both of whom are black, well, they can make this argument and crickets from the press. Groups like the Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, have been publishing reports on the drain uh, on all of our systems by illegals for years, on the cost of, of all of this. In 2017, for example, a FAIR study found, quote, illegal immigration to the U.S. costs federal, state, and local taxpayers a staggering net cost of $116 billion a year. Of course, the Southern Poverty Law Center calls FAIR a hate group for studying this. You're racist. So is it good that uh, these Democrat communists are now talking about how people have a right to be upset by a flood of illegals? Not really. It just shows how absolutely dishonest they've been. What's good is that this shows that most Americans, Democrat or Republican, do now realize that our current system is unsustainable. Let's hope that the 2024 Republican nominee focuses on this issue. Build the wall, deport them all, military on the border, destroy the cartels, period. This is hierarchy. It's not hypocrisy, guys. It's hierarchy the vanguard in operation. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great Charlie Hurt of the Washington Times about the political scene, and we've got your emails coming up. But before we get to that, guys, listen up, because I want all of you to be as healthy as possible. We know we're all in a war here for the future of America, and we all need to be at full fighting strength. To get myself healthier, to make sure I'm at full fighting strength, I am taking Field of Greens, which I love. I'm taking it every day, and you should too. Field of Greens is packed with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. It's what I need to stay healthier, and it's what you need too. Field of Greens works fast. You can feel it happening as soon as you're drinking it. No joke, you guys. I actually feel more alive and awake when I'm drinking my field of greens. It also tastes delicious, so I look forward to drinking it every morning. You're going to have more energy, you're going to look and feel healthier, and it can even help you lose weight. So you can't beat that with a stick. Join me now and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order and another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. So visit them at fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. (music) 
just a couple of minutes here, we're going to be joined by my friend Charlie Hurt of The Washington Times. We're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about Joe Biden, the catastrophic poll numbers he's facing. I mean, cratering beyond any what any president uh, has scored. Uh, and we've had some presidents at, at pretty low levels. Biden blows them all out of the water. We'll talk to him about that. Plus 22 and 24. First, though, I want to get to Sandy from the block. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, the two members of the squad. I think Ion Presley was there as well. I could be wrong. But yesterday they went uh, to Capitol Hill. They were uh, protesting the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It was a pro-choice protest. And they were uh, escorted away from the scene by Capitol Hill police. The Capitol Police came. They, They saw that this protest was getting rambunctious. So they moved on the protest and Sandy, (laughs) Sandy, I'm sure you've seen this video by now. She pretended to be handcuffed as she was escorted away by Capitol Police. So she put her hands behind her back and very dramatically flipped her hair because she knew she was being watched. So the cameras were all there and she flipped her hair and she <laughs> she walked like she was being arrested and cuffed, which was not true. And of course, the propaganda press all ran with, oh, look at her handcuffed. And then they wonder why nobody trusts her, why trust it, trust them, actually, and why trust in the propaganda press is at historic lows. It's because they report this nonsense as if it's true. And so Sandy and Ilhan Omar, they, they do this because they know the propaganda press is going to uh, report it as if they were cuffed, thrown to the ground. She is such a power to the people fraud. I mean, she really is. And all she does is this like live action role play. She's just LARPing all the time. Do you remember when she went down to the border when Trump was president and she is all dressed in white like angelic, right? She really knows what she's doing. And then she stood by the fence and she bent over pretending to cry. What Biden is doing so much worse, the humanitarian disaster at the border is beyond. And of course, she is nowhere to be found except at a pro-choice abortion protest pretending to be handcuffed. Okay, so they were all politely escorted to a a very shaded processing area. They were given water by police. Nobody was handcuffed. But that didn't stop Sandy and Ilhan Omar from, you know, continuing to play the drama queens. I am so tired of all of the drama. It's really, this is what they do. And they're good at it. She's good at it. She's a master of her craft, which is acting not politics. She is a political actress. She's not, you know, and she's a revolutionary, of course, but she is not, you know, you're run-of-the-mill Democrat. She's a revolutionary actress. But this gimmick really did accomplish its goal with the media. Again, they used all of the pictures from the front with her, with the hands in the back. They know that the propaganda press is going to run with their lies. That's all that they do. It's the regime lies. We heard from Joni Ernst earlier in the show, you know, talking about uh, how Corinne Jean-Pierre um, is is out there saying that the border is closed. I mean, their lies are getting more blatant. It's just in your face lies. But they know that the propaganda press will just run with it. 
they'll amplify it and they will allow the lie to run, which is why they do it. So AOC and, and Omar are out there faking that they're in handcuffs. I wonder what else they fake. Of course, this was a stunt. The socialist squad is full of drama queens and AOC is nothing if not a master of this kind of acting uh, like we saw with the border and with the empty parking lot. Remember that? But this moment also represents the modern left in a nutshell. They control the schools. They control the major corporations. They control the culture, television, music, movies. They control the media. They control everything. And they've got unified control in Washington, D.C., but they still have to go out there and pretend that they're fighting the power. <laughs> they're up against the man. Guess what? They are the man. They are now the man. But they still have to channel that sort of 1960s uh, revolutionary kind of behavior, right? And pretend that they're fighting the power. Meanwhile, listen to this. The Harvard Crimson, which is the Harvard University paper, recently published the results of its survey on the political leanings of the Harvard faculty. The results are mind-blowing, but not surprising at all. Only 1% of respondents stated that they are conservative. And zero respondents identified as very conservative. Ari Fleischer's got a new book out. He's a former White House press secretary. He's got a new book out on bias in the press. And he said that the White House press corps shows that the reporters at the briefings are 12 to 1, Democrat to Republican. I'm actually surprised at that number. I thought it would be like 12 to 0. <laughs> I don't know any reporters. And I, I had to deal with them all the time at the Treasury Department. There's a Treasury press corps. I, I dealt with them. But I also um, very often had to deal with the White House press corps. They're not. I mean, there might be a few who are relatively neutral. Um, and those are the reporters that we sought out because we knew that they would give us a fair shake. But the vast majority of them are not. They're, they're way on the other side. And, and they're activists now. They're not reporters. They are. This is the thing that changed during the Trump years. We all know that the uh, mainstream media for a long time has been biased to the left. But what we now know is that in the Trump era, it exposed them all for the activists that they are. And so the level of intensity and activism in the Trump era on the part of the press got very, very extreme. And it's not going away. That's who they are now. And they're unapologetically so. And they're not going to police themselves. Nobody's going to say, hey, you know, you're a little biased there. No, because they're all on the same page. So when you think about the power that the left has... It's extraordinary, and it's, again, in every nook and cranny of American life and society. They were able to pressure main, uh, the, the uh, Major League Baseball from pulling the All-Star game from Georgia last year over that election legislation. Now, mind you, Georgia primaries in March showed record turnout. So the claims of voter suppression and Jim Crow on steroids were complete lies. The press, of course, knew that. They ran with it anyway. It doesn't matter whatever serves the agenda. So it doesn't matter that any of this stuff is lies because when you control the flow of information, your lies spread 
unimpeded. And they know that. And they're all working hand in glove. Remember the Florida education bill that was signed into law by Governor DeSantis, the best governor in the country, by the way, by far. So that bill um, was meant to protect children. That bill was meant to protect kids from being indoctrinated into inappropriate sexual education, uh, gender dysphoria, the trans agenda, uh, agenda, all of that. That bill was meant to protect kids. So it's complete common sense. But then the left got in there and they smeared it as they called it the don't say gay bill. It had nothing whatsoever to do with that. So the Florida education bill was supported by a majority of voters, but it was smeared by the left as the don't say gay bill by nearly every news outlet, including the allegedly unbiased Associated Press. And they all ran with it, and they knew that they could get away with it. No problem. So the point is that the left is in complete control of everything, and and they throw the switch, and they leverage things all over the place all day long, and they get away with it. Their only tool is to act as the victim. So AOC, remember earlier this week, uh, or it was it over the weekend or the end of last week when AOC was going up the stairs to the Capitol and that comedian, uh, Alex Stein, I think his name is, he starts shouting at her and he's like, ooh, sexy, AOC, you're looking good in that dress. He did not physically assault her. He did not physically accost her. He did not physically threaten her in any way. But he was yelling at her. It was sort of verbal harassment, right? And he was like, oh, my favorite Latina with the big, beautiful booty. <laughs> I mean, he was really, he, nobody is condoning this kind of heckling of members of Congress, okay? She was complaining that the Capitol Police did not intervene. But the point is that immediately after that, immediately she took to social media. And she's also a master of that as well. She's a performance artist. And she immediately began complaining about, she's on her camera and she's showing him at the base of the Capitol steps and she's there and she's like, oh, I'm so insulted. Um, You know, this was outrageous behavior. It's always, they they always reach for victimhood immediately. That is their go-to. They're a cult of victimhood. And all of their identity politics springs from that because they can get so much mileage out of it. They think that they can, and they do. So it's all just a cult of victimhood. All right, let's go right to the Newsmaker Hotline. Joining me now is Charlie Hurt. He is my good friend, and he is Washington Times uh, editor, and he's also a Fox News contributor. Charlie, welcome. Hey, Mark. How are you? Hey, it's great to have you here. Good morning, and thank you for being here. So a lot to get to with you. I want to do politics with you. Uh, Joe Biden's poll numbers keep crashing. I mean, he is cratered now down to about 30%, which is the lowest of any modern president, maybe any president uh, at this point in their presidency ever in American history. What do you make of what's going on here? Yeah, well, it's really incredible, um, you know, especially when you consider how low the bar was set for him in the first place uh when when he entered the white house you know his, his you know his responsibility was to sit here and not basically not screw anything up uh trump, trump and you 
and others in the administration had had the had things running pretty pretty nicely, and um, and he decided for the first time in his 50 years in Washington that he was going to take control and start leading for the first time because that's the you know that's the secret about the guy he's not a leader he's never been a leader and no one's ever thought he was he's always been a, a very slow follower and he goes around telling everybody about his, his everybody called him lunch bucket Joe nobody called him lunch bucket Joe nobody has ever called him except for he himself has called him lunch bucket Joe and uh and so you know he, he, he you know and he's also not very smart so the the joke was on him and he's like that guy that loser who uh never made it anywhere and then suddenly everybody starts taking him seriously for a minute and then he starts taking himself seriously and before you know it he has wrecked the economy destroyed the bo- the border we have record inflation record gas prices and a crime surge and and he's go and he's going to the middle east begging for oil so yeah you know um all he had to do is not touch anything and here he's screwed up things worse than anybody could imagine do you think charlie that more and more people understand that all of this is intentional I've been screaming about this from the beginning. I was screaming about it for eight years under Barack Obama when Joe Biden was vice president, that none of this is an accident. Um, If if it were unintentional, you'd see a course correction. You see none of that, even at the expense of, you know, facing total annihilation for the Democrats in November. You don't see any kind of movement to change. So therefore, the, the logical explanation is that this is all uh, this is all being done on purpose to serve a bigger leftist agenda of the fundamental transformation of the nation, as Obama put it. Yeah, you know, it, it is all intentional. But um, what I think is really interesting is even Barack Obama wouldn't try things that Joe Biden is trying. And, and that, that, that should be really shocking considering how much Barack Obama, he viewed himself as a revolutionary. He talked about it all the time. And, and, and that quote is a, a perfect example of it. He viewed himself as a revolutionary, and he wouldn't touch half of the things that, that this lunatic is doing because, for whatever reason, I assume it's because he, he figured that it, it might freak people out and it might, uh, it might blow up in their faces. And, and after all, you know, the whole reason they, that Barack Obama picked uh, Joe Biden to be his vice president in the first place because he needed a, you know, an elderly, white-haired coot from from Washington D.C. who wouldn't be threatening, and um, and so and, and so I do think it's kind of interesting that that um, that that he that, you know he's starting to get blowback, clearly from his within his own party, and I think that's what you're seeing with, you know, that that crazy trip to the Middle East was because he's getting blowback from his own from I think there are some sane people in the in Congress, saying Democrats in Congress, but they're cowards. And so they won't actually call anybody out on anything, but they're calling up Biden saying, oh my gosh, you're going to destroy us. You are killing us, which is why he did that, that goofball trip. I mean, if he, you know, according to the Biden administration, which wants all of us driving electric vehicles and lectures us all the time about uh, the environment, the only thing Joe Biden should have gone to the Middle East for is to is to sell them windows. Anything short of that is evidence that 
he thinks the Middle East should be destroying the planet with affordable, cheap oil, and Americans should be starving and living miserable lives under windmills that don't that don't work. And so I do think that 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 he's getting some of that blowback from within his own party, and 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 there are people that realize they're gonna they're gonna get ruined in November. Oh, yeah. But that's why I I think what you're saying is true. But I think that those uh, relatively moderate mainstream Democrats are few and far between. And all of the energy and activism are with the the far left. Yeah, they they are, of course. But, you know, Charlie, they they, they won't won't step out and say say this publicly, but but they should. First of all, if they care about America, which obviously they don't, they care more about about their their own little tales than they do about America because I mean I, I don't know what's worse longer being a coward I would say being a coward is worse how can you be in Congress and know all this is wrong and not say anything I, I, I there's, honestly Monica I think that that we could debate it but I, I think that might be actually worse than believing everybody should walk around uh, unshowered uh, miserable poor and uh, you know, dreaming of driving an electric scooter. Yeah. You know, Charlie, as you're talking, um, I was reminded of something President Nixon said to me when I was working with him in the 1990s. And he said at the time, he goes, look, I have more respect for a true believing communist than I do for an American Democrat. Because at least you know where the communist stands. And you know what? I would apply that now to not just Democrats who are cowards, like you are pointing out, which I think is absolutely true. They're few and far between, but they exist, but they're just too afraid to speak out. I would also apply that to the Republican establishment types that talk a good game about limited government and conservatism, and then they get into office and they blow it all out and they vote with the Democrats or they sell out the party or they sell out the movement. No, it's absolutely. And, and by the way, you know, the only thing, the, the number one thing that we have to be focused on right now is exactly what's speaking is um, it because, you know, the worst, you know, victory has a thousand fathers and defeat. What is it? Is an orphan or something like that? You know, right now we have an opportunity to uh, train Republicans that this is what you have to do. This is these are the things that are non-negotiable. This is what you have to stand for. And, and you know, my fear, my biggest fear right now is that Republicans, the Republicans you're talking about, wind up getting back in office. And um, they are not they do not have a clarion vision of exactly what it is that they have to do. And then we wind up with more of this bumping along and all of these little little tweaks here and there there that actually just make the frogs boil. Yeah, and they lack courage, too. It's not just the remaining moderate Democrats, but it's those establishment Republicans that want to cling on to the whole corrupt status quo that Donald Trump and the America First movement were there to smash and did a pretty good job of it. But you know what, Charlie, the empire always strikes back. You know, they're, they're trying to destroy Donald Trump because he represents an existential threat to all of them. And their worst fear was that Trump would succeed 
and therefore give rise to all, you know, hundreds of America first candidates, which is exactly what he did. So they're trying to put out fires all over the place while at the same time trying to effectuate this globalist great reset here at home. Yeah, no, and, and, and they are, um, you're exactly right. The reason those people feared Donald Trump, and they, and they claim to be conservative and they claim to want to remake the government into something sensible, um, and it, but they uh, were terrified. And, and, and again, it goes back to that selfishness. It goes, and they're not just, you know, they're not just cowards, but they're also completely self-absorbed. All they care about is their stupid job in Washington and, um, and you know, getting another six years in the, in the world's greatest club, the United States Senate. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine re- revolving your entire life around, <laughs> around keeping some crazy, lame job being in the United States Senate? And, and, and the people that are there for, you know, the, the, the people that, who are there for the right reasons uh, and doing the right thing, God bless them. It is heroic work. But these people who just want to save their jobs, I mean, go give me a break. You know, give, yeah, give it's me, pathetic. Give me a hundred Tom Coburns uh, over any one of these losers. It's it's really yeah, pathetic. no, it's it, it's totally pathetic. And when you when you say that even Obama would not have attempted uh, most of the things that Biden is attempting, I would say, Charlie, that that's because Donald Trump threw a wrench in all of their plans. It yes. was supposed to go Obama to Hillary and the globalist reset was going to continue. And then Trump came in as the interloper and interrupted the whole thing. And so now that they've got Biden as a malleable puppet in there, now they've got to accelerate the timeline on all this stuff. Let me ask you, Charlie, what, what do you expect for 2022? What do you expect for the midterms, assuming all of these races are clean, which is a big assumption. That is a big assumption. Um, but uh, the biggest, my biggest hesitation about November is that everybody in Washington, all of the geniuses in Washington that you and I know, um, all seem to think that Republicans are going to win. Um, and that makes me very nervous. Anytime right. I'm standing in a crowd of raving lunatic idiots, and they're all pointed in one direction. I start looking in the other direction because there's they never they never don't they never fail to miss thing. And uh, and so I so I'm, I, I I will be honest with you. I'm a little nervous um, for that. But but that but that's the main reason. It, when you but when you look otherwise, and and you know in the United States Senate, and you know we are in a the worst Republican cycle right now for, uh, I think it's twice as many Republicans are defending seats as Democrats are defending seats in this cycle. Uh, in two years from now, the, the map looks infinitely better for Republicans. And then, and then in four years from now, the map looks even better. This is the worst year, and this is a really, really bad year if you look at the map for Republicans. So, uh, but... You know, there is. I still think Republicans win the Senate, um, and I think that they have some pretty good uh, pickup opportunities. And I think also that uh, that there could be even surprises there uh, that put them in very, very strong shape. And what's what's important about this is 
that, let's say, in two years, uh, President Trump does decide to run again. And I think that if he decides to run again, I think that he wins. Um, and I think that uh, I, th- I think having a and then and then I think he stands to gain seats in the Senate. You could be talking about a significant majority in the Senate. And and I know that we love to beat up Mitch McConnell for a lot of things. Uh, I, I have a very, uh, you know, I have a complicated view of Mitch McConnell. Um, I will never, ever stop being grateful to him for what he did with Merrick Garland. That was not the sort of thing. And we can argue about the reasons he did it. But, you know, that saving Antonin Scalia's seat was um, one of the most significant things that that has happened in the past, in modern times. Uh, yes. If it had gone the other way, it would have been disastrous. Uh, but, yes. but anyway, uh, he, I, I always, you know, I, I know we, you know, and, and Trump likes to complain about Mitch McConnell. The Senate is a weird body. Uh, but I think that Mitch McConnell, uh, focusing on the issues like Trump forced Republicans to do, focus on the issues, and you have a significant Republican majority in the Senate, I think you could be looking at very significant things getting done, especially give, I, I don't think that, I think that, I think that these three impeachments, the one that's going on now and the two previous failed ones, um, I think that will have washed out the system. And I think that President Trump will have a much stronger hand. I really do believe that. So a quick prediction from you. And you know what? You're right about the January 6th committee. This is the third failed impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, They keep looking, they find nothing. And what they don't understand, or maybe they do, and they just can't help themselves, Charlie, is that with every hit that they execute against Donald Trump, it only strengthens him. This was true from June of 2015 when he came down the escalator. Every hit that they... Uh, level against him, it only strengthens him. It only makes him more popular. It only strengthens the emotional bond he's got with the voters. But they can't help it. They're so consumed with hatred and the need to stop him because he's such a threat that they can't not do it, right? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. But uh, let's not forget, Democrats did, and Republicans did real, but mainly Democrats, did real real consequential damage to this country by pursuing those impeachments. They prevented the the duly elected president from accomplishing his agenda that the American people actually wanted, including a lot of Democrat voters. The fact that that, uh, uh, Trump and the Republicans in Congress were consumed with this for so long was a very, was, I mean, it destroyed in a lot of ways, much of his first term. And then, and then also don't forget, when, they, when all of Washington, and because, of course, the way impeachment works is you can't, uh, you can't do anything else. All you can do is impeachment. When you, when you decide to sit down and do impeachment, all, else, all other work has to stop. And the entire, all of Washington was ground to a halt for the, for the I guess it was the first Trump impeachment. And what was going on in the world? We had the deadliest pandemic, according to them, uh, of our lifetime, stalking our shores. And Congress did nothing about it uh, because they were so concerned, consumed with 
that that ridiculous impeachment that they knew was never going anywhere. But it, but you know, you want to talk about you want to blame somebody for killing a uh, hundred million people around the world or whatever. Uh, how about blaming Democrats who were so consumed with their hatred of Donald Trump that they refused to act and they refused to do anything to prepare for the pandemic because they were yeah, so, and, and, they were and, so and, enthralled. Nonsense. You know what? You're exactly right. But they don't care about the country and they don't care about you. In fact, they hate you. No, they so that that's what motivates them. And uh, they've got to stop him at all costs. Uh, final question for you, Charlie, before I let you go, I've got to get your predictions. You mentioned President Trump. I also believe that he is uh, running again for, and is going to win for a third time. Um, so if he runs, he will be the Republican candidate. On the Democratic side, nobody with a brain believes that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic candidate. Kamala Harris is in a perpetual state of nervous breakdown. So no one believes she's going to be the candidate. Who do you think the Dems are going to put up? Um, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be really, really difficult. And because the same forces that are at play that were at play that that, uh, got Biden the nomination in 2020, um, they're still at play. And because the party is not unified and the, all of the tea party pains that Republicans have been going through for 10 years, um, Republicans are coming out the other side of it. And it was very painful for Republicans and they lost a lot of races as they fought that out. Democrats are just starting that process. The, the disunity within the democratic party that is entirely built on racism and dividing people by race, gender, and all crap, nonsense. And, uh, and these crazy little agenda items, they can't unify their party around any of it. And, uh, and so, it, you know, I, I, I guess the, the betting, a, a smart bet would be some kind of milk toast, middle of the road candidate. Um, but the lack of enthusiasm for that candidate, you know, the only, nobody voted for Joe Biden. Nobody voted for Joe Biden in 2020. There are a lot of people who Nobody voted for Joe Biden. And the next character the Democrats bring along is going to be even there's going to be even less enthusiasm for him. Well, you know, it's interesting. I saw this morning that Dick Morris is uh, predicting that Mrs. Clinton is going to be facing Donald Trump in 2024. Say it ain't so. Stop the madness. I can't take any more pain, Charlie. (laughs) You know that she wants it. She's eaten alive that she never became president and put up with all of his humiliation and, and lost the presidency, not once but twice, to Barack Obama and Donald Trump, two men who had a better uh, sense of where the American people were. So I, I'm sure she thinks that the third time is going to be the charm, but I don't think so. Uh, Charlie, I got to let yeah. you go, but I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Charlie Hurt, the opinion editor at The Washington Times. You can find him on Twitter at Charles Hurt. All right, when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show here with a couple of final thoughts. So sit tight. Okay, time now for the Friday email bag. Just send me an email to monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com and I might read yours on the air. Doug writes, hey, Monica, love your show. We need to know every penny every member of Congress has received from China and or George Soros. Thanks. 
Well, thank you, Doug. And I appreciate the nice note. Very happy to know that you're enjoying the show so much. We do indeed need to know exactly how much money our so-called public servants have gotten and are getting from both Soros and China. I think we have an idea of how much Joe Biden and his criminal family have gotten from China. Millions, if not tens of millions via Hunter and all of those corrupt business dealings that we're just hearing about now, of course, and it's probably just the tip of the iceberg uh, for what they've gotten over time from China. We also need to know what they did for that money from Beijing. As we have said over and over again on this show, nobody writes checks for millions of dollars and doesn't expect something in return. So what did Joe Biden give the Chinese And what do the Chinese know about him or have over his head that has him compromised? Obviously, he and his crackhead son were selling influence, but what did they deliver to our most formidable enemy? What exactly? We need to know that. And Doug here is right, not just Biden, but everybody who professes to be one of our leaders. I mentioned earlier in the show that Chuck Schumer stripped out that anti-China security provision from this chips bill so that the Chinese can continue to steal our technology, our knowledge, and continue to have access to what we spend all kinds of money on research and development for. Well, why did Chuck Schumer do that? What do the Chinese have on him? How is he compromised? We need to know all of this because we need to know exactly how crippled we are as a nation as a result. All right. Thank you very much, Doug. Keep those emails coming. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me today on this Friday. Thanks so much for being here and for checking out our great sponsors on this show who have been so supportive of the Monica Crowley podcast. Please go check them out. All right. Have a great weekend and I will see you right back here on Monday with a fantastic new big show. God bless. God bless.